Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way. This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side, And from Hotlanta, Georgia, I am Kurt Dupuy. So we have a fun, uh, kind of special episode. Kind of special because we have three Navy SEALs. You don't have that every day. So we have uh, the boys from a company called SA720, uh, John Choate and his SEAL partners, CD and Ant. So really excited uh, for them to come on. We'll, we'll discuss in a second kind of what they covered. Um, but we had some guest hosts come on. Um, our friend Ben Algie, who's been on the show multiple times, and as he will mention as often as anyone will listen, he uh, is responsible for the most downloaded episode in the whole truth history. Allegedly, I don't, I don't know. The data's a little fuzzy. I, you know, I'm trying really hard. <laughs> We've had some some prominent guests that have momentum, uh, and we're trying to get them over the hump. Oh of yeah, leader, we're gonna crest but, that. Yeah, but but so far. Um, do you think Algie just kind of sits in his in his basement and just kind of listens to the effort, just keep kind of Oh, I know play. he does. The question yeah. is how many, is he responsible for like 5% of the downloads or 50% of the, that's the That's question. a good question. He has like the it's whole It's not family. a question of if, it's, it's how much. It's, and also we're joined by uh, a new person on our show, Tommy Grout. Uh, combined, Tommy Grout and Ben uh, run our whole Eastern Division. Uh, they're great friends. They're wonderful people. Um, we want to have them on to interview John and team as they've done extensive work with these folks. And I got to tell you, Kurt, uh, they did just an incredible job. Like I was, I was editing the thing. I thought, you know, these guys are going to be, you know, amateurs. And it turns out that uh, I, so I have the, I have the luxury of, of editing myself and they were way better from a raw perspective than I am. I can tell you I right think, now. I think you're saying the quiet part out loud right now, Steve. Is that, is that what's happening? Okay. I, I that's don't, fair enough. Don't give them enough. too much credit. That's fair enough. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, Kurt and I have done close to 50 episodes at this point. And I think it's, it, it's, it's reasonable that we have from time to time, others come on and, and host an episode or two. Um, we will absolutely be the ones that will, you know, vetting, be selecting the content. We know our audience. We know what would resonate with, with, with you folks out there. Um, but we'll, we'll have some guest hosts on. I think that's, that's only, it's only fair, only reasonable. Well, and it's, uh, we're not the only shining stars at this company. So I guess, I guess it's about time that we let some other shining stars peek through and we've offered to a bunch of our colleagues. Uh, these are the guys that stepped up and I mean, and interviewing the SA 720 guys, you know, what, what a treat. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that they got to do it and not us, but, um, I, they did a fantastic job with it. Absolutely. So let's. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of the takeaways. I'll talk about, and we'll, we could talk all day because it was a really robust interview, but we kind of narrowed it down to two of our takeaways. I'll do the first, Kurt will do the second. The first had to do with, with teams. So when you think about Navy SEALs, probably all kinds of things go through your head, but at its base, they're one, if not the best team 
in the world. That's what they do. Right. They build teams. What are some of the takeaways that we can learn to, to be more effective in our teamwork? And one of the biggest ones um, that I heard over and over, I was surprised at this, Kurt. I didn't expect to have this takeaway. It's surprising. But I had, this jumped out to me and it happened a couple of times across a couple of different points that, that the guys made, had to do with addressing attitude and ego. You know, they talked about that many times. They talked about being humble, about self-aware, about having the right attitude. You know, these are all words for for sort of um, reflecting on what you as an individual are bringing to your teams. And I got to tell you, me too, you know. I've got a bunch of people that work under me and it's easy to come in with the big ego and the, and you want to be the leader um, to sort of, I don't know, bring that back in a little bit. Well, and it's not what you would expect. Like Navy SEALs, you expect like macho, like they're just the toughest yes. guys in the world. And, they, you know, I could do anything. Slaughter yeah. your slaughter your enemies in their sleep. Um, yeah. But it's ironic at, a, at least to hear them talk about. So the, the word that you didn't use that always strikes me when I hear them talk about this is vulnerability. Yes. So they, they, they talk to, to have an effective team requires trust. You can't get trust unless you're vulnerable. So vulner, vulnerability is the precursor to, to any good team working well together. And so they, you know, they, they talked about how, you know, in, in, in buds, the, the main job of the instructors is to find out what you're scared of the most to br- break you down. Just drill uh, into it. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And then really just double down on what your fear is to get you to that point of vulnerability. Uh, but that is the precursor to a successful team is vulnerability. And so they, they, they I mean, the stories that they have are fantastic, but they really just hammer home that any well-functioning team, including advisory teams, I have some level of vulnerability and and removal of that ego. So what's the action step? If you're sitting there, you should always just ask yourself, like, can I take myself down a peg, at least with my team? What can I do to be more vulnerable? What can I do to be more humble? What can I do to bring a better attitude? I think those are all good things to always reflect well, on. The second big thing, and control your enthusiasm, is uh, kind of new from the 720 group, which is a framework or a process for business development. So they sort of break down using SEAL slash CIA terminology. It's this methodology called SABER, which is it's literally taking uh, uh, clandestine uh, frameworks from the government and using them for business and practical purposes. Yeah. Process around business development, you'd think, oh, yeah, you know, we should all have that. That should be no problem. But we don't. A lot of teams that I work with, you know, hey, we generate referrals. We have this client experience. But really getting, you know, to the next level about about um, mapping out ways to grow your business, I think, is incredibly important. So um, wonderful interview. Um, just want to thank Ben and Tommy and the guys from uh, from SA 720 for doing it. So let's transition to that interview right now. Um, if you have, if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed to our show, please do that. Please rate the show. These are the things that that prop us up, that get people to see the show more. Um, we're you know we're getting noticed more and more, which is like terrific. And so with a little bit more push from you guys and from our audience, I think this thing can go to a whole new level. So with that, let's transition to Ben and Tommy and the team from SA720. Hello, Whole Truth Podcast. Uh, Listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you've been listening for a long time, you're probably thinking, this doesn't sound like Steve or Kurt. And in fact, you would be right. 
Uh, my name is Tommy Grout. I'm a managing regional vice president here with Touchstone Investments. And I'm joined by my colleague, Ben Algie, who's a divisional vice president with us. Uh, ben, if I'm not mistaken, you're a former guest on the podcast and I believe the most downloaded episode of all time. Is that correct? That is correct. Most downloaded episode of all time. And if you're anything like me, when you open up a podcast and you hear a guest host, it's it's typically a quick skip uh, to the next episode. But that's a, uh, it's a poor idea right now, isn't it, Tommy? I, I beg you, do not skip out on this time. We've got three great guests. So we've got CD, John, and Ant, the executive management team of SA720. Just real quickly on their background. 40 years of Navy SEAL and special operations experience, a JD, a former assistant DA, an MBA from Columbia and London School of Business, and several tours of duty across, uh, across the Middle East. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. We're excited to have you. All right, Tommy, thank you for that very kind introduction. Ben, thanks also as well for being here. And uh, just for the record of all of that aggregate uh, SEAL experience, Without a doubt, the preponderance of that goes to uh, CD right here. Well, we're excited to have you guys on. Thank you all, uh, you know, first for your service, but also for being with us today. Uh, a lot to get to, not the least of which is how we end up with resumes like that. But before we dive into that, John, maybe you can just give us a little background uh, on you and the team. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so I guess by way of quick background for me, uh, I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, my family comes from a very long line of, uh, of attorneys. That is not something that resonated with me particularly well. Um, I think that probably a lot of SEALs from mine and CD's era, uh, my, my sophomore year in high school, a book came out uh, uh, called Rogue Warrior that was written by Richard Marcinko, the original um, commanding officer, founding officer of SEAL Team 6. He actually just passed away in December of this year. But uh, reading through this book, uh, and then and, and, and kind of saying, my gosh, who wouldn't want this particular job to fly all over the world and to protect the country and hang out with good guys and jump out of airplanes and this and that uh, kind of hit a resonating frequency with me right there. So uh, it was at that point I started looking at going to uh, the Naval Academy still to this day. If I were to apply today, there is 0% chance I would get in. Um, it's, uh, so I was fortunate enough to get a, um, an appointment there. And uh, Anthony, who's a classmate of mine from uh, class of 97 there, uh, we both live by that kind of commentary that comes from the Naval Academy, that it's a wonderful place to be from and a terrible place to be at. Um, and I'm sure Ant will give you colors on that. I have this big block of those four years right there where I remember little bits and pieces, but not much of it. I was very, very fortunate and blessed to get one of, at the time, what they called the Sweet 16, one of the 16 SEAL billets uh, to go try for BUDS for SEAL training. So I went out and did that um, and uh, was the officer in charge of class uh, 218. And then went over to go to SEAL Team 3. Um, I was drawn particularly to them because of, you know, pre-9-11, uh, their area of operations was the Middle East. And that happened to be kind of where most stuff was going on in the world. And I was very fortunate enough, too, to be, you know, one of the, the first, you know, service elements that was in Afghanistan right after 9-11. Uh, and oddly enough, with CD on the phone right here, he was his SEAL element was part of the recon team that initially went in for the first few days. And we kind of 
literally passed each other in Kandahar. I mean, I'm quite certain that we like gave each other a high five, but didn't really know each other. It's not like running into an old classmate in the office. That's a slightly different dynamic there. I, actually, I think it's, it's the exact same dynamic, right? It's just, uh, it's the same clowns, different circus. Um, so uh, that, that was a fun iteration there. Um, I ended up then shifting after coming back. I ran the special reconnaissance element for um, uh, what was training detachment at that time for a few years there. And then uh, started my first company, which is a, a security company, um, which is what Anthony is now the, uh, the president and CEO of that particular company. And uh, just had several different bitter business iterations and engagements since. Uh, hopefully that gives you some kind of the background color. Yeah, it, it definitely does. What really led to it transitioning into working with financial professionals? First of all, my grades at Columbia when it came to capital markets are awful. Like I, I wouldn't, it, it, I don't even know. I'm like trying to figure out stock, bond. I'm, I'm an operating business person, like a, an, an operator in the business world as well. I, I make my money. I give it to my wife who gives it to our financial advisor. Our financial advisor invites us to one or two things a year that we respectfully decline every year. And I just want to the reports that show like the line going up, not down. That's, that is the, uh, the depth of the experience and the knowledge associated with this. Um, where we came into play within financial services in starting in 2014 was, uh, so I had just finished up, uh, to use military nomenclature, a tour of duty. Um, I, was uh, I was recruited by a private equity firm to be the CEO of one of their portfolio companies. Um, I spent four years uh, running really what was a turnaround and we ended up exiting that particular company successfully to a strategic. And so kind of sitting around right there with, uh, okay, so what's the next game? What's the next play? And uh, I was actually hit up by a, a good friend and a former SEAL as well who did go into financial services. Uh, and he called me up and said, hey, we've got an awful lot of um, practice management content that's coming up from our firm. Uh, and folks are really looking for stuff, right, wrong, or otherwise, the SEAL kind of aspect is, is really resonating out there. there. There's a little bit of the, kind of the mythology associated with it, um, but as anything that has applicability into the business world or the non-military world, is that something, given your business experiences um, to date, that you think you might be able to address? So we took a look at um, kind of what the very... It, it was half-baked, just speaking bluntly, what, what some other folks had kind of put together. Um, that, that's my political response to it. It, it was absolute straight garbage. Um, just, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the reason why we, we, we classified it as garbage is because, um, frankly, it's stuff that, that everybody already knows. My criticism, and I think by proxy, my teammates' criticism, it is not to the persons behind what we are talking about here. It is to the content of what they are delivering, right? The content is, is, is basically a bunch of regurgitated gibberish that most folks have already learned through the due course of their life. Things like, don't quit, um, you need to learn to communicate effectively with your people. Um, you, we got to establish trust. You have to empower your people. I didn't go 
into the SEAL teams of the military to learn that. I learned that from AYSO soccer in third grade, right? <laughs> we kind of looked at, at that content, um, sat down with, uh, you know, all, all of my guys, or not my guys, the team that I'm a part of, and uh, we're able to look at this and say, I think there really is something here. And so the launch point really is captured in kind of this two sentences, which is, look, we're in teams and everything that we do. Uh, we just take the vast majority of them for granted, all right? Um, but we are obviously in teams at work, all right? That, 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 that is a team structure. But we're also in teams in our communities, our homeowners associations, our houses of worship, our philanthropic engagements. I mean, frankly, the, you know, the most fundamental team that each of us hopefully are part of is our family, right? Um, we just don't define it as such. So if we can assume for the sake of argument that, that the SEAL teams represent one of the world's optimal peak performing team entities, of which I objectively believe that they are, right? How do they take individuals of such varied socioeconomic backgrounds, varying geographic experiences, so on and so forth? How do they vet them and mesh them together such that they're able to, to really do two things, to, to conduct um, very significant and important operations that have a virtually no margin of error, right? It's a pretty much no fail type of missions. And that's also notwithstanding the fact that every game that they play is an away game. The underlying principles, and that's why they're defined as principles. They're like laws of physics, they're, they're, they're industry and vertical agnostic. The underlying principles that work for, you know, the New England Patriots um, are the same that work for a business operating team, are the same that work in the SEAL teams. So were, are there principles that can be distilled from the SEAL teams and employed ostensibly in the, the work teams that we are each a part of? But not only that, that transcend just the work components, but to every team that we're a part of. Like, how do I communicate with my children and my spouse and my people in my community and other engagements that I'm in? It was honestly perfect. And, you know, I scribbled some notes here and there's a couple things that I took away and I might be hopping ahead. But one thing you did there, maybe without even knowing you did it, was you went through one of my favorite tools that you use and it's the, re uh, the reverse resume, right? Yeah. Reversing your resume. And you did it when you were talking about Columbia. You said, oh, yeah, I went to Columbia MBA, no big deal. But I barely even knew what a capital market was. I, I challenged <laughs> that to be accurate. I, I, I highly doubt it. But tell us a little bit about how you can use that um, with the team that you might be coaching. Sure. Yeah. So it, it's called the reverse resume. Um, and when did we fleshed that out in like 2012, I believe. It's coming up on a decade that we've been doing the activity for sure. The peak under the hood is this. So we have grown to despise resumes. They are two-dimensional brag sheets that are 100% controlled by the author. It, it, they're basically a spinoff of kind of the, uh, you know, of the social media aspect today. Oh, look, look how brilliant I am. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm eating the perfect... Having the perfect coffee with the perfect date and the perfect location, right? Like nobody's nobody's posting like, okay, so I got in a car accident because I was texting and my daughter's dating some guy that has a van. Like you know, like nobody's posting that stuff. So <laughs> it's um, and 
the problem that we had during a, a particular business engagement <clears throat> was we had won a, a relatively large um, government contract for our security company. And the resumes that we had received, like, honestly, if we had, if we blacked out the names on the resumes, they were virtually indistinguishable from each other. It's not uncommon if you talk about it with like in the collegiate admissions process right now, right? Everybody is trying to look like they're kind of like omni-experienced, right? It's like everybody is a national merit scholar and plays on an athletic team and played some part in the school play and built potable water systems in Nigeria over their summer vacation. Like, you know what I mean? It's a, look how great I am. Like, and so here was kind of our takeaway when it came to the reverse resume. It was that, first of all, you never would have made it to the, through the cuts or to the respective desks if you didn't have kind of certain aptitudes already. That's kind of binary. You either can or you can't, okay? Now it comes down to sifting out the next piece. And what we really wanted to get to was, was where are the boo-boos? Where are the mistakes that you have made um, and how did you transcend those particular things? And because that's how we learn. We learn through, throughout life through our skinned knees. Uh, we, we don't learn by never having um, a mistake, an error, a boo-boo, or anything of that sort. All right? So what we did is I took my resume in what was admit, admittedly this was a bourbon fueled evening, but that, I, that, that that's what it was. So it's where all the best ideas come in. They they certainly can. So I took my resume. I kept all of the all the the major headings in there, right? Which are the positions or the locations you've been, you know. So founder or managing director or whatever else it is. But you know all that bulletized information that you know is three or four kind of little cut pieces underneath each one that gives some more granular data. You know, oh, I had CAGR growth of fifty four point four percent over two millennia, and you know whatever else it is. P and L responsibility for you know this and that. Um, it, it, it that was all stripped out. I hand wrote in everything that I concealed about each one of those particular positions. The way my resume reads, it says, you know, I went to the United States Naval Academy. I was a you know a, a, a hunting memorial honor scholar through the Naval Academy Foundation. I was part of the NCAA Division One water polo Navy water polo team. I was one of sixteen selectees of one hundred and four candidates for SEAL training. Okay, well, that, that's all well and good. But but the reverse piece is that I graduated 923 out of 957 in my class. I played six weeks of water polo because I was unsatisfactory. They measure it in six-week intervals. I was unsatisfactory per NCAA standards with my grade point average. And I also stood 177 days of restriction for a whole variety of conduct offenses. And that's notwithstanding the fact that I also failed calculus three, three semesters in a row, like a legitimate F, a <laughs> 0.0 in three back-to-back semesters. Now, I, I still graduated. I still was fortunate somebody had, an, or people had enough faith in me to get one of the seal billets. And, you know, that was, I mean, divine intervention right there. But uh, that, 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 that's really what it is. And it's become one of the biggest tools um, that we've been able to help with folks out there that also doesn't require a great deal of coaching. It just requires a great deal of honesty on part of the people that are crafting it, right? Because the CEO, the managing director, all of these types of folks, it's the people who have said, I've been sued before. 
I've lost significant portions of my book because I made this error and stuff. I've made it back. I was able to transcend to get through it. That That's really the key piece on it. It's the, the folks without error. They're either lying or they're delusional. It's all, you know, there's only two choices, right? And what's interesting, is when we've partnered with you on this exercise before, it, it's such a humbling and level-setting activity for professionals to go through with the, with the CSA, the analysts, and then you know the rainmaker. Puts everybody on the same level. It's the, the, the balancing effect, right? Look, man, this is who I am. Like, I'm good at these things. Do not dislike me or discount me because I'm not strong in those others. But, but in this world where, where, where this kind of, again, I go back to the social media infused piece where perfection is supposed to be. I mean, you guys are, are highly intelligent. You know, I mean, for Instagram folks, how many photographs do they take before they actually post their picture? I mean, sometimes like 1,700 photographs. You're like, that's insane, man. I'll send you a photograph of my half-eaten filet of fish meal. There, that's what I ate today. You mentioned in your comments just kind of how you differentiate from some others who do similar things with the, with the Navy SEAL background. That's obviously in vogue these, these days. Everyone wants to hear a story from a SEAL. What strikes me, though, is, is from working with you you and your team for several years is the, the crux of, of your consulting work and the, the work you do with professionals isn't based on rah-rah SEAL stories or, you know, things blowing up or, you know, different missions you all went on. It's really an intellectual conversation and intellectually stimulating. And there are stories from your past that are weaved in. Um, but CD, I'm interested in your thoughts on kind of how that differentiates you from, from others that do similar, similar engagements. Some of the things like we talk about with the modules that we provide, and I'm going to use like, uh, we use one module that we call Teams, and it kind of is emphasizing those critical team dynamics and what organizations like your, like yourself and, and others are actually looking for. There's four pillars and it's the four pillars come into self-awareness, communication, mission planning, and then practice. What we do is we distill the, the principles that we've learned from the SEAL team into those four pillars. And, and, and arguably, I think everyone would want to say that communication is probably the most important um, piece that needs to be established across the board in any organization. But we actually backed it up and argued that you really need to know that self-awareness piece. It's really knowing yourself and knowing what you can provide to the organization and also telling them, hey, this is what I'm weak at. And maybe you're going to partner that that person or, you know, him or her up with someone else that has that as a, as a strength, even though it may be one of my weaknesses, because now we're inseparable. We, it, it, it basically builds a cohesive team based on strengths and weaknesses that that you can become inseparable. And I think that's where the delusion comes in with some of these other, these other people that are talking because, you know, it's like, ah, you know, never quit and all that stuff. Yeah, no kidding, right? Like verse what, always quit? Of course, John and I are not going into your organization or anybody else's organization saying, hey, yeah, we've always practiced to quit, but uh, we'd like to bring this guest speaker in and talk about how to never quit. Like that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Let's rethink that concept, yeah. And that's just one module that we kind of, overlay where we take principles from the SEAL teams and overlay them over the business and commercial construct. When we're trying to set up a team or you are trying to enhance any team, all right, there, there are really two components you're looking at, aptitude and attitude, right? Aptitude is generally binary, all right? You, you either pass your series 63 or seven or whatever, or you don't. I mean, you, you pass it, you, you get a certain GPA or you don't get the paper on your wall. In the SEAL teams, you either make the push-ups and the run times and sometimes, or you don't. 
All right. Lots of people are able to make those cuts, the aptitude component. All right. There are, we have, there are plenty of Olympians or Olympian, Olympian hopefuls that have gone through buds training that quit. All right. Their, their issue is not their aptitude. It then comes back to the attitude component to it, which is, which is largely also kind of a sphere of influence is, is the ego aspect to it that, that um, is really contrary to what a lot of people think that like buds and, and seal training is, is that like the most egotistical um, are the at least, at least at the individual level are the ones that are carved out first. And CD has re- legions of stories that he could tell you about. I mean, he was a first phase buds instructor for three years. Of course, you don't quit. Of course, you got to gut it through. Of course, you got to help your people. Of course, you got to figure out learning, like how to communicate effectively. But 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 those are really the kind of pieces, and that that is kind of where we predicated most of um, this, this module off of that has really resonated with folks. People get the misnomer that you know it's just like another selection uh, type training. The the budget instructor goes to about a year of training. And you're under, you know, critical criticism from your other instructors and your other peers, making sure that you're doing everything correctly. What you're doing is stripping all those things away because every single one of us has some kind of vulnerability inside. And the root cause is that buds instructor trying to find that. And I even crack a joke sometimes when we're giving this presentation. I'm like, sometimes people, to John's point, they're they're hard. They're their, you know, their aptitude is there. They can pass everything, but it's really digging down and finding that chink in their armor. And sometimes I used to even make things up just to see if I could get them to snap. I'd be like, oh, hey, you know, so-and-so like this, you know, or doesn't like this. And, and, and he's just like, oh, I can't believe he just said that. And I'm like, oh, I got him. I got him. And then like people snap and they could be the, you know, the alternate on the swim, you know, freestyle Olympic team. And, and they're like, I'm out of here. And they were like the most I would say well-rounded in the fact of physical fitness and everything, and they're the first ones to quit. And you're like, bye. I, uh, I look forward over the next time we get cocktails, you doing that to Ben and how quickly <laughs> you can get him to stop. That challenge accepted from CD. I'm looking forward to that. All right, all right. <laughs> We've alluded to some of the consulting work you all do with financial professionals today. Um, maybe you can walk us through at a high level kind of some of the areas of focus that you all have that you've partnered with financial professionals on. Uh, and then maybe we'll dive a little deeper into those as far as what your observations have been and, and how you coach them to improve. We spent the lion's share so far talking about what is called the Teams program and the principles that CD alluded to and everything. You have granular practice management items like the reverse resume, other things that you can put into play. We, we just recently came out, um, flushed out, got received rave reviews so far on what we call um, targeted client acquisition. Any businesses, any, any company, any new business, the most difficult thing that they have notwithstanding financing, right, is getting your first client, all right? And then it's getting ongoing clients because businesses that do not grow eventually will die. The targeted client acquisition, it's actually predicated on the processes that human intelligence services throughout the world. Uh, So, you know, MI5, MI6, uh, Mossad, CIA, uh, what they have learned in their past 70 some odd years of existence on how do they find, interact with their prospective clients, people that they want, that have access to information they need, that have 
capabilities that they are requiring, so on and so forth. Um, and how, how are those same types of processes employed um, within the commercial and the business world? Because some of the world's most successful companies use the exact same process. So we have that as kind of one of the offerings. Um, we have one of the ones that became incredibly pronounced. It, it, we, we started it, initiated it, I believe, in 2018 or 19. It's actually our security uh, offerings that we have, too, as well. Closing in here on two decades of security experience, whether it's covering A-list celebrities or billionaires or, you know, large, you know, Fortune 50 companies and their security concerns. Um, we have some pretty, pretty robust experience in that light. Where this really came about was, was several successful wealth management firms that said, hey, is that something that you might be able to provide or develop? And of course, the answer to that is always yes, right? And so... Uh, what we what we did is we got together and said, look, there, there's such this hyper focus in the past decade or so on cybersecurity, right? Yes, cybersecurity is of absolute and utmost importance, okay? It really, really is, particularly with how connected we are in the world. We've seen the greatest issues with the colonial uh, pipeline hack and how that affected gas prices on the eastern seaboard. Um, obviously, you have the Equifax hack that took place a few years ago. But here's the reality. At the individual level, Cybersecurity is really three things. Don't make your password password. Don't open attachments from people you don't know. And you're not going to win $10 million from the king of Ghana. Okay? It's not going to happen. Like That's literally what cyber at the individual level. The problem with the cybersecurity focus is that it's been done kind of in a, non, in a, in a non-zero-sum game to, to the, the deficit of our personal safety and security. We're not in a more dangerous world. We're not in a less dangerous world. It's just a different set of issues. And so let's talk about our own physical safety and security as it relates at the individual level, as it relates to our families, to our work environments, to when we travel. A um, lot of client events on that, right? And then uh, and our most recent one that we've developed and fleshed out um, is actually um, uh, specifically personal and physical security for women, which uh, have uh, their own kind of unique um, security concerns that, frankly, um, most males, things that we take for granted just because we don't look at it through the same aperture, the same lens as, as uh, women do. So those are kind of the offerings. Again, long answer to your question. but You talk about communication a lot in that, and then you compare and contrast the communication challenges that financial professionals have. And then you talk about, you know, in the SEALs, you got to be able to communicate underwater, cold, in the dark, no visibility. If they can master that, why can't we figure out how to talk to the person at the cubicle next to me? And it's, it's, a, it's such an interesting uh, uh, juxtaposition. Within the SEAL teams, we call it being artful. Be, speak accurate, be relevant, and be timely. And it's like a fire triangle. You have to have all three. And once you can establish each one of those metrics, it just makes life so much easier. So let's touch on the targeted client acquisition module. And, uh, you know, you can't go anywhere in our industry these days without having a conversation around either net new assets or, or client acquisition. So certainly timely and relevant. But what's interesting to me in seeing this presentation from you all is you change the conversation from how do I attract clients to how do I select the clients I want? Can you talk about the the importance of that that uh, discrepancy, John? 
when we, if we talk about intelligence agencies, it's called a recruitment cycle. It's not called a sales cycle, right? Which is what is in Ben's mind? What is in Tommy's mind? Who do they have access to? You know, so on and so forth. That, because we're talking about the human mind and the egos that are aspects that are associated with it and the predispositions and the assumptions and what are people motivated by, what are they inspired by, that is the tradecraft that human intelligence agencies, not just the CIA, around the world, this is what they have to learn in order to find persons that are going to help them, that have the assets that they're looking for, that have the characteristics that they need, that they want. It, it, it is having financial advisors and wealth management firms to just have a paradigm shift when they're prospecting so that it shifts it from how do we get a certain prospect as a client to how do we hire that prospect. I have wonderful services, wonderful product, and a wonderful team right here. And I think we are the best fit for you. But I need to shape my relationship with you, my interactions with you in such a way that hopefully you come to that realization on your own. The most important aspect is process, 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 right? And that's what works for these intelligence agencies. Ben and I were naturally drawn to it because we're process-oriented people. It increases success when you're working with financial advisors. Is that something that they usually immediately take to? It is, it is exactly what they take to. The SEAL teams specifically, because that's where my experience is, um, but special operations, all right? We have processes for almost everything and redundant processes for everything. It doesn't matter whether it's filling up a boat or a, uh, or a dive tank, or jumping out of an aircraft, or packing parachute, or mission planning, okay? Now, the, the, I think where some of the, the shift comes between your conventional forces and special operations is that you also have, with the special operations, there's more gray space for extemporaneous changing, for shifting as things move, okay? So you have this flex that comes in there. But the processes are very, very, very pronounced. They are very robust and they are very definable. That is the same thing when it comes to targeted client acquisition. All right, well, Ant, maybe we could focus on the personal security side and maybe specifically for women. Certainly. Uh, you know, the John gave the, the background earlier about what the genesis of the uh, personal security presentation was. And it's, it's actually called more completely personal security and situational awareness. Uh, so the, the whole idea is that um, no one is born a Navy SEAL. Uh, despite what the movie The Matrix would have you believe with Keanu Reeves, no one just knows Kung Fu. The whole concept of situational awareness, being able to take care of yourself and the men and women around you, whether that's your friends, your parents, your children, whoever it is, your partner, your spouse, um, it is learned and it can be taught. Women have certain unique security concerns, perhaps that makes the hairs in the back of their neck stand up, whereas with men, um, they may not be as naturally attuned to those things. So in the presentation, when we talk about personal security, uh, we start at a macro level very briefly and talk about what the government does. The government's role there is to protect the people, things like the FDA, the EPA, OSHA, right? But that's at a, a large level. At a micro level, 
the things that men and women do day to day of being aware of what's going on around them, being able to be proactive instead of reactive to a potential threat or something that's bad that, that might happen to them or the people they're with. Those are the goals coming away from the, the personal security and situational awareness presentation. So at the end of, of that module, uh, folks are left with very specific things that they can do for themselves and they can start doing right then. And it's not a secret karate move. It's not, absolutely, it's not go buy a gun and learn how to use it. Absolutely not. Um, because we're often asked, what's the best gun for personal protection? To which I respond, uh, it's not, it's a dog. Or, and, or a shotgun with no rounds, because if someone breaks in your house in the middle of the night and they hear from the top of the stairs, they're running. Um, but the, the end state of, uh, of the security for women or the personal security modules are that folks come away with uh, a couple of things that they could start doing in their own day-to-day -day routine, talk with their children about, talk with their parents, and uh, it makes people feel a little bit more confident about taking care of themselves. That's fantastic. And, you know, in, in our experience in partnering with you, what we have heard from, from our clients that have universally enjoyed these engagements is that it is that looking through a completely different lens, you all bring that different experience from both you know, the SEALs in the military, but also the personal security, uh, the different businesses you run really bring a different aspect to consulting. And, and it's certainly very well received. Well, certainly hope so. I will be forever grateful to that, um, to the people that entrusted me and us to go to the academy, to be in the SEAL teams. I never would have met Anthony and CD if not but for those things. Um, so I needed to be able to, to say that because it is how I feel. Thank you so much uh, to Ben Algy, to Tommy Grout, to John, CD, and Ant for a wonderful interview. We're going to transition to our Costanza Corner next. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. And welcome back to the Costanza Corner, where we like to end the show on a high note. You have something for us, Steve? I do. Um, I do feel like I'm, a lot of times with these, we're in the same topics, but I don't care. This one's going to be about climate change. Is it animals? Done some stuff. No, oh, it's not animals. Your, your, it's your, not, other, your other topic. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I feel like it's like animals, climate change, and like medicine or something like that. I said this when I did it in a prior Costanza Corner. It could be... Often when I look at at the the challenges with climate, which I see so clearly being in California uh, with our droughts and all the stuff that we deal with out here, um, fires. It, yeah, it, it it just could be it, it could be overwhelming because um, it doesn't seem like people are really doing anything about it. But then I read this and I I feel at least a bit better. So if you look at the European Union, which you know as a collective is is one of the largest economic powerhouses uh, in the world, um, are actually doing a whole lot about it. So check this out. Total greenhouse gas emissions in the European Union reached their lowest levels since 1990. Think about that. According to official EU data reported this week, the overall reduction in 2020 greenhouse gas emissions was 34% compared to the base year or 1.9 billion tons. So they basically taken their carbon back multiple decades, which is just, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. Even though we don't seem to be doing very much, others are, which is fantastic. I've also heard that some of their, because some of the leading contributors to that, I think are their utility companies with tighter regulations. They have been mandated to, to become cleaner. Uh, and there's just a lot more accountability over there with, with those types of companies. So um, 
and I actually learned about that on an investing podcast because they talked about the opportunity the next 10, 10, 20 years in in green energy because there, there are definitely going to be some winners in that in that space. Absolutely. So thank you to our uh, good friends over there, our European friends, for uh, for doing some things in the positive direction. Cheers, uh, mate. Cheers, mate. Uh, that sounded Australian, I feel like. I get it mixed up. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth. All one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.